Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 22nd of October 2020 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. Navigating our way through the world is tough, and navigating through love is even tougher. It's so easy to get your signals mixed, to make the move in the wrong direction, or to misstep at just the wrong time. But if you're lucky enough to find someone who matches you, someone who complements your own weirdness, it's all worthwhile. This week, as we listen to a new story from DJ and an older story from Jessica, we'll be thinking of signals, missteps, and love. Before we get to today's stories, though, a huge and dry hello goes out to our loyal Hong Kong listeners. Thanks for always being there to support us. Hellos go out to our overseas listeners as well, this week particularly to listeners in Lagos in Nigeria, Lisbon in Portugal, and Fitzsanulok in Thailand. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. On Saturday, October 24th, we'll be hosting our second annual Student Story Slam, where Hong Kong students are invited to tell their true first-person stories on our stage. We've been collecting the stories all month and have some astonishing young talent to showcase. If you'd like to see and hear in person how amazing young storytellers in Hong Kong are, our tickets are on sale. Find details on the website hongkongstories.com and on Ticket Black. Our October 29th live show is a regular storytelling show and we have some excellent stories to fill your ears. This show has a theme, community. Come and hear stories of coming together and falling apart in our storytelling community. Ticket links can be found at hongkongstories.com or on Ticketflap. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than drama. It's better than comedy. It's real life. And now with a story from the June 2020 show, which had the theme Fifty Shades of Red, here is DJ. About a million years ago, when I was a child, we used to play this little game called Red Light, Green Light. I don't really remember the game that well. I, don't, I certainly don't remember all the rules. What I do remember is a lot of panic stops and false starts. And it occurs to me years later that maybe this game was valuable training for the world of adult relationships. Sometimes you meet someone not online not in a bar or a club uh, or, or an obvious kind of dating, mating situation. Sometimes you meet someone in an ordinary situation like, like work or business or a class or the neighborhood store, and you find yourself fascinated, maybe even strongly attracted. And, well, you, you want to say something, you want to make a move, but you don't want to be inappropriate or worse – uh, for me, you, you don't want to come off as that creepy old guy. <laughs> anyway, years ago, I was living in Mexico City. And by the way, there is not a livelier, friendlier, more exciting, more fun place to live in the world. If you ever get the chance, I strongly recommend it. It's such a friendly place. You're always meeting new friends. And of course, when you meet someone from Mexico City, one of the first things they say is, Hablas Español? Do you speak Spanish? And I would reply, Si. 
Yo hablo como un niño, un niño baracho. I speak Spanish like a child, like a drunken child. And my friends would tease me. You know, you work at the American school, and you live in that gringo neighborhood, and, you know, you need to get out and make an effort to practice Spanish, or you'll never be fluent. And that is how I met Montserrat. A friend introduced us uh, via email. She was a young professional woman native to Mexico City. Uh, she had just come back to Mexico from a semester in the U.S. as part of her master's degree studies, and her English had improved significantly, and she, she really wanted to have regular practice with a native speaker so she didn't uh, regress in her English. So we agreed to meet for language exchange. When she walked in the coffee shop, I was struck by this brilliant, huge smile and these large, expressive eyes. She was wearing tight jeans and boots and a leather jacket and everything topped by this big, wild mass of curly black hair. Wow. Did I really say wow? Yeah, I think I did. I think I really said wow. She was as smart as she was beautiful. And we hit it off immediately. It seemed like we had a million things in common. In no time at all, we find out we both have this passion for education and a tremendous passion for literature and, and, and uh, world travel. And we find out we're both the first persons in our working class families to get university degrees, much less master's degrees. It's really funny. In some ways, it seems like we're made for each other. But I'm a little self-conscious, you know, uh, and, and I'm more self-conscious maybe than usual. Uh, but for three really good reasons. This isn't just me being neurotic. Uh, first of all, she was 33 and I was 57. And I had no idea if she would even consider dating someone that much older than her. Second... Even though we'd known each other a very short time, we, we formed this really tight bond as friends. And you know, when you try to go from the friend zone to dating, sometimes things get awkward. And then the next thing you know, both of you are uncomfortable. And then not only do you lose a prospective partner, but the friendship withers and dies. And thirdly, she was really attractive. And I'm... Well... <laughs> So one of the first times we meet, we're talking about our love of travel and, uh, and, and talking about how we both have this passion to visit Machu Picchu, the ancient Inca city. And she says, let's do it this Easter. We'll take a week off. We'll go on a weekend trip, just the two of us. It'll be great. You'd be great to travel with. And I think, oh, my gosh, this is what I've wanted, a, a sign that it's okay to proceed. This is my green light. I mean, she barely knows me, and she's ready to go off on a week-long trip with me. She must really trust me. Or she really trusts me because she sees me as a dried-up, harmless old geezer, and it'd be like a trip with Grandpa. <laughs> Red light. I think this is, this is silly. Don't. Don't continue this infatuation. Just enjoy the friendship. But then we would spend two hours talking about everything under the sun, making each other laugh, and I would feel this passionate connection. And I thought, okay, I've got to find a sign, a green light. So next time we meet, 
I've got an idea. I will subtly and cleverly steer the conversation into the realm of relationships. Okay, so it wasn't subtle, but I said, you know, it's unusual for Mexican women uh, over 30 to not be married. I'm quite surprised that someone as smart and successful and beautiful as you is not in a relationship. And she says, oh, you know, I've dated a lot of guys. I've been in several relationships, and they all seem to fall apart after a year or two. It just seems like the guys cheat, or they don't know what they want. They're not ready to commit. I, I guess they're all immature. What I need is someone more mature. I'm thinking green light. <laughs> but then she says, but no, after my last breakup, I made my mind up. I'm just going to be single forever. And you know, if I want to go to a club and pick up some young guy with a hot bod and have my way with him and have a great time and then never see him again, who cares? Because relationships are not worth the trouble. Red light. All right, that's, that's, that's it. I'm, I'm going to let this go. And I, a week later, I sent her a message and I made up some excuse. Uh, it was a feeble excuse, I don't even remember it, to cancel our meeting. And, uh, but then I really missed her. So the next week when we met at our, at our regular scheduled time, she walked in and said, I really missed you. I was afraid for a minute you were breaking up with me. As if we were dating. <laughs> so... We continued to be friends, and I nursed this, this deep and growing affection for her, but I was afraid to ruin the friendship, so I didn't say anything. A few weeks later, she sent me a message and said she had a big family event coming up that Sunday. We always met Sunday afternoons in the coffee shop, and uh, she didn't want to skip a week. Could, could we reschedule and meet some other time? I thought quickly, how about... Friday night, 7.30 at that trendy new wine bar. I mean, Sunday afternoon coffee shop, it just reeks of friend zone. But Friday evening wine bar, that could be a date. So I'm there on Friday. She walks in wearing a mini skirt and some little leopard prints, well, whatever you call those kind of shirts. And I said... Man, you always look great, but tonight, you look especially smashing. And she said, do you really think so? And I said, yes. And she said, that's great, because later on, I have a hot date. A line had been drawn through existence. On one side were hot dates, and on the other side was me. That's great, I said. Just, just great. And we had our usual exciting conversation, only I don't remember anything, because all I could hear in my brain was the soundtrack of one of those World War II movies, you know, when the airplane's been all shot to pieces, and it's going... (laughs) 
I'm persistent, but I'm not a masochist. I tried to let go of this infatuation, and we saw each other a little less frequently. Now, I'm, I'm a writer, and I, I was giving a poetry reading, and she came to the poetry reading, and uh, I had shared a few poems with her before, and she'd said she liked my poetry. At the end of the reading, as everyone is saying their farewell, she comes up and she gives me this very tight, strong hug for a long time, and she whispers in my ear, you have a very sexy voice. Only by this time, I'm so fucked up in my head. (laughs) I translate it as, you are not sexy, but your voice is. A few months later, the Mexican peso crashed, and I'd been thinking about my retirement plan for a long time and the need to leave Mexico and go where there's more money. Go to Asia, go to China, all my friends said. So I sent out CVs, and boom, I had a job in China. The next time we met, I thought, I've got to break the news to my friend that I'm leaving Mexico. I told her about the contract. I told her I would be leaving. Her face was transformed. I could see a little moisture in her eyes. And I said, que pasa? What's going on? And she said, I'm just... Sad, because I know, I, I know you, you, you're not very good about emails and letters and, and you, you hate social media and I just know you're going to move to the other side of the world and I'm, I'm going to lose one of the best friends I ever had. I said, well, I don't want to lose you as a friend. And You know, sometimes I've thought maybe someday we could be more than friends. Have you ever thought that maybe someday? And she said, yeah. I've actually thought a couple times that maybe someday we could be more than friends. And I said, someday. How about today? (laughs) And we launched into a crazy, obviously futile relationship. And the next four months were passionate and wonderful. And at the end of it, we said, what are we going to do? I mean, I'm moving to China. And we resolved that if we could tough it out long distance for a year, that then we were really meant to be together. She came to China. I went to Mexico. She came back to China. We saw each other three times over the course of the year, and the following summer, we were married. Thank you. That audience reaction of awe is such a reflection of why storytelling is so powerful. When you hear someone tell a true first-person story about something that's happened to them, it's instantly relatable. 
Our storytelling workshops will cautiously resume soon, and you too can learn how to tell your story more effectively. Check the website hongkongstories.com for details. The second story we have for you today is about love, but it does take a different turn. Here from a show in 2018 is Jessica. I've always thought that sticking to one's first impressions is a barrier to understanding. But as a kid, I learned that sometimes a misleading first impression can actually work in my favor. I started vocal training when I was 10 years old. As soon as I had the rudiments of breathing, pacing, and remaining on key, my singing teacher introduced a a regiment of classical songs to build my repertoire. These songs were in German, Italian, Latin, and Swahili, languages that were not common to my home of South Florida. I asked her, I don't know anyone who speaks these languages. What is the point of singing a piece that no one is going to understand? Sometimes the highest forms of art are the most difficult to understand. Your audience doesn't need to know what you're saying. They can appreciate its beauty and that you can sing it so well for one so young. Okay. When I was 12 years old, my mother got engaged to her, to her soon-to-be second husband. She asked me to sing the entire Catholic Mass, a long ceremony that would require several songs. I was both thrilled and terrified. I'd only been singing for two years at that point. And this would be my first major performance. Also, I really wanted her wedding to be spectacular. For most of my childhood, she had been a single parent working tirelessly to ensure that I had every opportunity possible to succeed. This was my chance to give something back to her. My singing teacher was delighted that I had this extra incentive to practice and came up with a whole new program of songs, including a French song, Plaisir d'Amour. She gushed that this would be perfect for when my mom walked down the aisle. I was excited to learn Plaisir d'Amour because it was in a language that I was actually learning to speak for once. So, and also, my first impression of French came from the movie Beauty and the Beast. So, I was immediately enthralled. The language was the language of love. It even sounded sweet. French pronunciation sounded like whipping sugar into icing. Unfortunately, my budding flirtation with the Romance language wilted rather quickly. That fall semester, I met my new French teacher, Madame Kababe. She asked us all to pick a name to use for the rest of the semester. She then went around the room introducing herself to each one personally. Bonjour, Jacques. Bonjour, Brigitte. She craned her head expectantly in my direction. Je m'appelle Isabelle. She paused, staring at me. Isabelle, 
that is the name of the woman who stole my boyfriend. I can be Bernadette instead. No, no, that's okay. She moved on. No bonjour for me. introduction led to a series of rocky encounters. I felt like she was trying to will the spirit of her ex-boyfriend's lover into my body so that she could throttle it out of me. The coup de grace in our relationship came when Madame Kababe brought in crepes for the class to try. She passed around a jar so that everybody could learn about Nutella. Uh, now, Madame Kababe misled us on a few accounts. She said Nutella was French. It's not. She said it was a chocolate spread. It's not. By time that I got the jar and I could read that it was a hazelnut spread, I'd already consumed my crepe. Uh, Madame Kababe, uh, I need to, in Francaise, but we haven't learned the word for allergic reaction yet. For a moment, she couldn't speak. She just stood there, visibly shaking turning an angry shade of plum and glaring daggers at me. After she let me leave to go to the clinic, she then started ranting about how I had ruined Crepe Day and I could have gotten her sued. After the Nutella incident, I felt paralyzed in French class. And it caused me to perform poorly. I got my first C ever on a progress report. I didn't want to ruin my mother's big day. So I pretended like I was still doing well in French. Usually, my singing teacher would go over the meanings of the songs with me to make sure that I could sing with the right connotation. But because I was learning five new songs for the wedding, she focused on the Latin and German songs, assuming that I could handle the French song on my own. She even suggested, why don't you ask your French teacher about Plaisir d'Amour? It's a great way to score extra points in the class. I nodded, gulped. And decided it didn't matter what Plaisir d'Amour meant. <laughs> it's, it, the title is The Joys of Love. I mean, how bad could that be? I was just going to make beautiful French noises. <laughs> like a Parisian parrot. As I stood at the altar waiting for my mother's wedding to begin, I couldn't help but be nervous. It was awkward to have all of these people just staring at me expectantly. So I decided to distract myself 
by looking at my sheet music. I realized that this version of Plaisir d'Amour actually had the English translation to the French lyrics underneath it. I started to read them. Oh, shit. <laughs> but it was too late to do anything other than smile and sing. Les the joys of love last for a moment. <laughs> The pain of love lasts a lifetime. <laughs> the audience was entranced. I saw an aunt wipe a tear away from her eye. So touched by the beauty of my singing and the bridesmaids coming down the aisle. I continued to sing passionately as my mother came down the aisle, beaming at my soon-to-be stepfather. You left me for the beautiful Sylvia. And now she's leaving you for another lover. <laughs> Everyone raved about the performance. <laughs> I felt horrible. I superstitiously believed that I had ruined my mother's chances at happiness. I felt so guilty that I confessed to Madame Kababe because I felt like she was the only one who would really understand the extent to which I had cursed my mother's wedding. To my bewilderment, she just cackled elatedly. I want to see your performance. <gasps> you should sing this in front of the class for your final project. I don't know if she meant to embarrass me, but something about the way that I sang the song with mocking rage, now that I understood what the lyrics meant, really struck a chord with her. And she raised my grade to a B. I have to confess to you, I didn't actually tell my mom about what the lyrics of Plaisir de Mormet until I was working on this story for all of you. Um, and at this point, she has been blissfully unaware that her wedding was jinxed for 20 years. Uh, when I... Even with this new information, though, when I finally told her, she stuck by her initial impression of the loveliness of my singing. She even declared it the something blue that she needed. Thanks for listening to today's stories. 
brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was written and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell.